We're doing another special guest DGU episode today with Emma Stratton. Emma is a founder at Punchy, a positioning and messaging agency that works with B2B SaaS companies. I am really excited for this episode today because we're going to talk about how to balance the present versus the future when coming up with your own story. Demandgen, you is officially in session. Let's do it. For anyone who's listening right now, whenever Emma and I get together, I feel like we <laughs> always have so much fun talking and laughing, most importantly. So we got to 15 past the hour and I was like, oh, shit, we haven't even started <laughs> recording get yet. get started, no. right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm uh, I'm excited to, to chat with you again today. And this is a, a topic that I think is very close to something that we are you know, currently working through at Metadata and when we were preparing for the episode at the last minute. Uh, one of the things that you had mentioned was uh, this is not unique to what we're seeing at Metadata, and it is something that a lot of companies uh, you work with are struggling with, too. Hey, you guys are still special in metadata. I don't want you to think that you're not special. You are, and I'm sure you have, you know, the your own challenges with this. But you're right. This struggle with, hey, how do we tell this story in the future? We're going a million miles an hour. Our product is going to change the world in five, 10 years. But our product isn't quite there yet. How do we message that is the intrinsic challenge when it comes to messaging for any high growth tech company. Everyone has got to face this at some point. And for the record, I was not fishing for compliments and trying to get you to tell me that I'm special or Metadata special. So I just want to squash that. He paid me for that. He paid me to say that. Yeah, no, just I'm kidding. Sure. I did. <laughs> so before we jump into this, I do want to talk about three things because I see people talking about this all the time on LinkedIn and everyone kind of talks about it differently and, and uses many of these terms interchangeably. So what those terms are, positioning, messaging, and a strategic narrative. So let's start with positioning first. How do you define positioning? Yeah. So I define positioning as really your stake in the ground in the market. It is who are you deciding to be and who are you for? Um, I also really love April Dunford's, de, um, her definition. I think it's really good about kind of the unique value. Yeah, obviously awesome, right? Uh, the unique value that a defined audience really cares about. Um, but I think of it as a stake in the ground because it's strategic. It's about making a decision. It's about saying we are this, we stand for this, we are for this type of buyer, and we are going to say no to all the other people that don't quite line up with this. So it's strategy. It's making that decision, the stake in the ground. I love it. Now you start with positioning typically, and then you turn that into messaging. So how do you define messaging? So messaging is really how you bring that strategy to life through words. And it is really the key messages you're going to convey to build a really clear, consistent, simple perception in the market. So how are you going to bring that positioning to life? How are you going to connect with those people that you're trying to reach? The messaging strategy really guides what you're supposed to say in your sales, in your marketing. You can definitely tell that you've done this before because that was so <laughs> straight and to the point. I love it. <laughs> and then the last, uh, the last term or concept, because this is, I would say, one of the what seems to be fairly trendy things to talk about right now on LinkedIn. Uh, and it's not new by any means, but strategic narratives are, are just a narrative at the end of the day. So how do you define that? Yeah, I would define a strategic narrative as really the big story that provides the context to that messaging strategy. So positioning, it's that, hey, business decision, we are going to stand for this and take this part of the market. Messaging strategy is, okay, these are the key messages, the value proposition, the key benefits, 
that we are going to hammer again and again and again so that people understand what we're offering. And then the narrative is, all right, what's the backdrop to this hard-hitting value proposition? Where does this fit in the wider world? What is the story we can tell? And at Punchy, when we write the narrative that goes with the messaging strategy, it kind of reads like prose. It's a couple paragraphs, and it just tells the story about why this matters now, what's happening, why you've got to change, et cetera. And that story is easy to understand, easy to digest. So it can be a great thing to guide your sales decks. It can be a great thing to share with new hires so that they understand what your company is doing. It's just a story, takes that messaging and puts it into story form. And on the narrative part, who are you typically working with inside you know, the company? Is it the CEO? Is it the marketing leader? Is it marketing like teams and product marketers? Yeah, so it, it can vary a bit, but for the most part, I work with a group that has leadership, right? Whichever CEO, um, sometimes CRO. And then we've got the marketing team, of course, and then key leaders from other departments like sales, customer success, and product. So every company is a little bit different, but ideally you want to have leadership that represents voices kind of across the org and get that mix of the customer perspective, product perspective. Yeah, it's interesting. You've probably seen this too, but uh, I have no shame in admitting I'm a Andy Raskin fanboy. And he <laughs> says straight up that he will not work with uh, companies uh, that reach out to him if the CEO is not leading that narrative project because the CEO needs to be the one leading it and owning it or else they're not going to believe it and they won't get the rest of the company to believe it. Yeah, absolutely. I think alignment and buy-in are the secret killers of any messaging strategy. Like if you don't have them, it's dead in the water and you can go. And I have in the past, to be quite honest, gone into an engagement where it's been led by the marketing team. And then it didn't quite have the buy-in with sales or with leadership, right? And it's like, well, leadership is just going to continue pitching it the way they pitch it. Or sales is going to keep doing their thing. They don't want to change. So it's true. You do want to get alignment across the board. And if the CEO is leading it, I can see that as a very simple way to kind of get that insurance that you're going to get that, that buy-in and that alignment. Yeah, I think when we started to work on ours with Dave Gerhardt, it was something that Jason, and, and I'll be straight up, I had never done this myself. I just listened to enough podcasts and uh, read it enough that this is usually how I get my ideas, that I then just annoy Jason and say, hey, Jason, like, we should do this, we should do this. And I think he almost got tired of me annoying him before he told Gil, our CEO, about it. And then uh, once Gil heard that a lot of big companies that he looks up to had done, you know, work on their narrative, then he was all ears. And that's really what kickstarted this. Yeah, that's awesome. So now that we've got the the background context out of the way, you know, it's the challenge and something that we're struggling with right now is, you know, you've got what you can do today and how you talk about, you know, that to your audience and prospective buyers. But then you've got this, you know, narrative and the the future state vision that might seem a little far away from, you know, where you are today. So how do you, you know, typically balance that to start? And I've got a ton of selfish follow-up questions uh, <laughs> written down here too. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot of things to consider with balancing that future state with the current state. And a lot of that really hinges on where your customers are at. What is their level of understanding? What is their perception? you know, what is their sophistication? What are they ready for? What do they want? Those are all things that um, I really keep in, in mind. 
I think, you know, when we talk, you talked about strategic narrative being this really popular thing on LinkedIn and, and everyone's talking about like, you know, Ras Andy Raskin's kind of win old game, new game, winners, losers. And it's, to me, that approach is a very focused on becoming the market leader, um, you know, getting a big funding round, just being one of these hot, cool uh, startups that's really winning. And to be honest, sometimes that's not the approach for everyone. Not every, it's not right for everyone to tell that kind of. I'm just going to interrupt. I love Do you this. love Keep this? Going because, I'm like, is this yes, controversial? Like, no, 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 no. This is awesome because if you listen to the thought leaders and if you're listening to audio, you can't see my air quotes, like they're going to tell you you have to do this. So yes, please keep going. Well, it's not, it's not right for everybody. Not everybody can be like gone. Like not everyone can, you know, come in and, and, and be the drift. Like it's just not sustainable. We cannot do it. There's too many solutions. There's, everyone can't win and muscle their way to the top. And so my approach and what I really believe in is I believe the brand that gets closest to the customer and what they care about and, and taking them on a journey is is going to win, right? Make it all about them. And so I worry less about, I want to tell a big disruptive story about how the world has changed and, you know, what you're doing now sucks and we're going to take you to this new place and rather think, okay, where are you now? And where's the wonderful place I can take you if, if you will just, if you can just picture it for a minute, you know? So I think when it comes to the big vision, the first thing I think about is, okay, some people come to me and they say, this big vision is only a year or two. We're like, we're close. We're not there yet. But we're going to, you know, this new functionality or we're going to introduce this new piece that helps us offer something more um, meaningful to our customers. How do we start talking about that? Because our, our existing customers don't see us that way. And that is a really good place to be. What I found is even if the, the product, the new thing you're launching isn't ready yet, there is going to be a golden thread that connects to where your product is today. There's going to be something there that you can talk about that connects to that story. So for example, I was advising with a company, they did, um, I think it was a type of like document management in the healthcare space. And when I was looking at their messaging, I thought, hmm, God, there's a productivity piece here that you're not, that seems to be missing. Like I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about productivity, but I'm not seeing anything in your messaging. And the head of marketing said, oh my God, we're actually launching something that's really going to be big on productivity, but it's not ready yet. It's like a year out. So we haven't talked about it. And I said, but I can see it. I can already see it in your product now. Just start talking about what you do have. Just start talking about the productivity and link it to what you're doing now, because that's going to get people to start thinking about productivity and you, and then you're going to be really well prepared when you have the big, ta-da, here's the big productivity tool. So a lot of times I say, look in today, what represents, what is the seed? What is the golden thread between where you want to go and start talking about it now? It's okay. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just start talking about it. Because um, I think sometimes teams are hard on themselves. You're like, well, it's not great. It could be better. I don't want to talk about it. Guilty. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I see. Just, just start putting it, start putting it out there. Now, on the other side, I have companies that come to me and they say, we want to reposition as this whole new thing, insert new category name, new, um, you know, we want to be seen as an all-in-one this, not a point solution anymore, right? 
we want to be seen as this totally new thing. And our existing customers, they love us for that old thing, but we want to be this totally new thing. And when I talk to them, they say, yeah, there's no one you can talk to because none of our customers are, are using us in this way. And, and that always kind of makes me pause because you can't just go all the way to the future and leave everyone behind. Um, and is that something you've thought about yourself at Metadata? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that we're going through right now because we, so I'll, I'll explain this as quickly as possible since you are schooling me. I'm not trying to school no. you. Uh, so we started with uh, a category. Our, Gil, our CEO, has been um, you know very interested in creating a category because of the fact that we just truly, truly have not seen anyone that can do exactly what we do right now. There's components uh, that our perceived competitors can do, um, but not all of it. And where we started was paid campaigns and really automating paid campaigns. So there were a couple of different categories that we had pushed. There was autonomous demand generation, which I inherited. And then after doing customer interviews, I quickly learned uh, and it validated that, you know, normal people don't use autonomous in their everyday <laughs> language. And I'm very big on like using terms that people understand. So then we back down to demand generation platform. And then what we're working on right now is this new category called marketing OS. Mm -hmm. So people think of us for paid campaigns today. The future is marketing OS sure. and we're struggling with, you know, how do you, you, you know, still talk about what you can do today because that's what people are ready to, you know, buy and pay for versus, you know, this future state that feels a little too ahead of like where we are right now. So it's something that we're struggling with at the moment and, and really working through over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not working with a client right now is struggling with the same thing, very similar to the idea of, of a marketing OS uh, for another industry. And I think it's great to come up. I like marketing OS. I think it's great to come up with a hook um, that helps people understand what you're trying to be for them. I think you're playing off of OS. But it's, it's understandable. And I think that's that's great. And I think the truth is it's just going to take time. You need to educate the market. You need to educate people as to what this means. You have to create content. You need to infuse meaning into it. And that just takes time. And that's where I like to think about, okay, well, how can you connect the dots between what you're offering today to this idea of the marketing OS? So maybe that means following it up quickly you know, not totally saying goodbye to the things that the paid, right, the paid piece, contextualize what you did before in the marketing OS. So you're not just getting rid of all of those things that people are actually searching for. So sometimes I think it's like dialing it down when you're launching the marketing OS, dialing it down, not just giving you the whole new meaning and, and people don't know where they're at, but just contextualizing it with where you've come from. And then over time, as you build understanding, um, you can be less reliant on that. I mean, I'm working with a client who launched, did the same thing, kind of launched this new concept two years ago. And to be in tech marketing, I'm like, oh, I totally get that. But their audience doesn't. And I was talking to one of their salespeople and she said, I still have to start every sales conversation explaining what the heck that is. And, uh, you know, and then I explain what it is and then they get it. And then, and I think that is the reality, but they are making headway. And I think if you are going to own something new, there is going to be work that needs to be done. Salespeople will have to explain it. But I think if you can kind of nail down a really succinct, pithy, understandable explanation of what it is, 
that everyone can, you know, have, you're going to slowly kind of build that understanding. I love that. Now, one of the things uh, you've mentioned customers uh, a couple times, and one of the things that you mentioned was staying as close to your customers as possible. And then also said differently, trying to not get too far ahead of where your customers are right now. So how do you, you know, juggle those two at the same time while still trying to push out this big narrative? Yeah, I mean, I, I do like to be real with my clients about where their customers are at, because here's what really happens when you go big on some future narrative and like this huge transformative value that you can recognize with this platform. A lot of times in sales conversations, that equals the clients like, um, ooh, that's more than we need. That's kind of scary. I <laughs> just came here for yep. this one thing and you're trying to sell like digital transformation world. And I am just not, I'm scared. And they run away. <laughs> I, I love, you were very intentional about which term you used. I started at Accenture and we were talking about digital transformation <laughs> 10 years ago and people are still talking about it now. Like that might be the most buzzwordy yes. like phrase there is. Yes. Digital <laughs> transformation. But so, so that, that is, that's actually what happens on the ground when you go too far ahead and you're kind of, you've got this big, like you're going to transform the way you do whatever it is your customers do. And then it translates to yikes. That's too big of a software. It sounds like it's going to be a big deal to implement and get change management. And I just don't want that. So that's the fear of going too far ahead. So what I like to do is just really understand, okay, where are our customers? Um, what aren't they understanding in sales calls? Um, what are they really tripping over? Right. And if it's part of the news story, like what are they just not getting? Um, how are they perceiving us? And is, are there any other kind of mini perceptions that we have to shift to get to that next place? So a client that I'm working with right now, they started doing what, basically doing one thing really well, and then they started adding other things on top of it, but they're still really known for that, that one thing that they did well. Well, as they've grown, there's so much more than that one thing they did well. And the, the way they, their software is like so much more, but people are still really stuck. They still see them in um, the terms of that one thing they did well. And so when they look at other features, customers are like, oh, I, I don't need that. I, I've already got that because they have this old perception of, of that. And so it's like a miniature perception that really needs to be addressed. So sometimes just understanding like how, what are they misperceiving? What are common misperceptions? What are common blockers? What are common things that people are tripping over or they think, oh, I don't need that. Those are things that need to be addressed. And sometimes there's in that growth journey, there'll be a lot of things you used to do that now it may be an issue. You need to reposition even certain features or capabilities and things like that. It's hard, Mark. It's not easy. Okay. This is, this okay. is like hard. This makes me feel better. <laughs> this is, I, I'm going deep into like the weeds here. Um, but this is the problem of high growth companies. You started out with one thing. You did it really well. You started adding on other things. And now it's become this totally different thing. And, and you're trying to take people along this journey and you're doing it rapidly. 
And the market is always a couple years behind, always. And you as a company are so far ahead and you see the future that you're bored with everything that you did a couple years ago and you don't want to talk about it anymore. But that's where your customers are and you have to always remember that. You really do. Don't get so wrapped up in, I want to tell this new exciting story at the cost of alienating the people who are kind of in our sphere. And another thing you find is as you go up market and go wider, you have to go even more basic with the things you're talking about. I love that. Uh, so I think one thing is like how you tell that, you know, that story and where you tell it, because for us, you know, the narrative that we've been pushing out is really in our sales deck right now mm -hmm. that, uh, I would like the entire sales team to use, but we're still <laughs> seeing that some of them are not using it. And then we're trying to figure out how to like weave that into the site. So it's not this abstract comment or not comment, but concept that just appears and disappears. Like we want it to all sound like the same company. So I guess, how do you, you know, how do you do that or recommend that your uh, clients do that? Are they talking about this everywhere on their website? Is it like a certain page on the mm. site? Like kind of walk me through that. Yeah. So I definitely like the, the homepage messaging to connect to that story. So we start with the messaging and then we expand and build into the narrative, but you could go backwards. You could start with the narrative and you could pull the pieces. Um, and so your value proposition should connect to that story. And then kind of the main benefit should speak to it. So it should be mirrored, right? You should be talking, kind of touching on the same things. And then I typically like to put it on the about page. Um, and actually, when we do the kind of strategic narrative, we make the about page speak to that. So rather than kind of talking about how long we've been in business, it's kind of, it starts with, here's, you know, this, this problem you're facing, this change, and then here's what we do, what we do. So I like to put it on the about page. Some people put it on the why, you know, the why company page. Yeah. Guilty. Yeah. No, I think that's good too. <laughs> I think that's good. It's, it's, it's the place people go to, to kind of find, you know, find out more. And then I always talk to, talk to my clients about like, you got to talk about this now, like do talks about it. Um, you know, do content pieces about it, put this out here. And um, when I say, get, you know, getting close to the customer, when we do our strategic narratives and we kind of tell that story are kind of based on the hero's journey, we get very emotional. So we go really deep on how this makes you feel, what it actually looks like, and we get into the, the nitty gritty. And that's what makes it so personal and not sound kind of like marketing, it, we want to get personal. Like, well, here's how this is affecting you and this is what it feels like. I have a very talented writer at Punchy, Carrie Holzman, who works with me, and she crafts the words, right? I help direct the strategy. She crafts the words and she's really good at it. And I asked her, I'm like, I said, you are so good at this. And she said, you know, my mom used to always tell me that I should always put myself in other people's shoes and really think about what they're going through and how it feels. And she was always taught that growing up. And so that's what she does when she writes. And it is so emotional and real. And every time we present the big story or the strategic narrative to a client, they love it. We never, they're always like, oh my God, I love this. And I think it's because we really go there with the emotion and that brings the immediacy and the why give a shit about this company. 
I love that. Now, I guess, how do you get to that point? Are you doing customer interviews? I know you're listening to call recordings, like kind of what does that process look like? Yeah. So um, leading up to any engagement, we do customer interviews, um, prospects, customers, you know, across a mix of new and, and older. So we do those interviews. Those are kind of the best. We also do review mining um, for validation and things like that. But it's really getting into those uh, qualitative interviews. We talk to people, we ask them about the problems, and we ask how it makes them feel. And we really dig into that. You can listen to the tone of their voice um, and you can get a, you get a really good sense of their world, how they describe challenges, how they describe the benefits. And once you kind of really get into that, then you just, it's, an, it's a creative exercise. You kind of imagine um, being there. One of the things that never fails to amaze me is how emotional customers are, even in seemingly unemotional uh, job titles, IT. I, I knew once you started to say that, I go, I know what she's about to say. So keep going. <laughs> IT. IT. So worked with a really awesome company that's uh, for IT ops, IT admins about patching, right? It's like patching. The so most glamorous, exciting yeah, thing in the world. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and um, talking to a, a bunch of IT uh, guys, right? And they were so emotional about how shitty the other solutions are, how they like suck the life out of you, how stressful it is if things aren't patched, getting calls late at night, uh, no one only realizing that you even are there until something goes wrong. Just so, so much stress, um, you know, so much feeling. And then, but a lot of people just think, oh, IT, so dry, so technical, so, so boring. But there was so much emotion there. And we tapped into that emotion big time in the messaging. And they they are they're gonna be a huge company. They're they're doing huge things. And it's very cool um that they take that approach. I love that. Yeah. And it's something that uh, you know, it seems so obvious to do, yet very few um companies, you know, stay that focused on the emotional side of things. But, you know, when you you know, get to that level of, uh, of, you know, emotion in your messaging and you're able to, you know, show and not just tell people it lands so much better when people are like, wow, they actually do understand me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the difference between like something like autonomous patching, right? Let's just say autonomous patching. It's like, okay. Or, you know, sleep better at night knowing there isn't going to be a breach, you know, that is so much more compelling than autonomous patching. I just made that up. I know that doesn't mean anything, but right. Uh, it made it landed with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, uh, when was this? This was in San Francisco, uh, two weeks ago. And I saw kind of along the same, uh, lines. I forget the company that it was, but they were, um, something around like, you know, uh, it was like data privacy protection mm -hmm. and SOC 2 certifications. Yep. And it's like SOC 2 certifications, you know, Ray Arciso, I don't think he listens to this, but if he does, I'm sorry, Ray. Like that couldn't be less exciting to me. <laughs> but on a billboard, I saw compliance that doesn't suck too much. Yes. And I was like, this is amazing. You're able to take a boring concept and spin it in a clever way. It's, I, of course, I went and looked up the website right after. Yeah. Like, you know, you can do it for really boring industries. Yeah. I saw that too on LinkedIn and I was like, oh, how fun. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. So I think um, another thing that kind of we're going uh, through right now is uh, actually getting the sales team to really adopt and use, you know, this narrative. Because at the end of the day, they're trying to get people to um, buy what you can currently offer today. Now, marketing wants to push this new narrative out and we're not trying to bore our audience with a, you know, enormous slide deck at the beginning of sales calls, but we're still not always able to get sales to consistently use this. So I guess, how do you work with your clients uh, and your client sales teams at all uh, to make sure that sales and the rest of the company is adopting it? The, I think the only way is to have the head of sales involved in the process. I, you know, I, <laughs> I just think that's that's the way to do it um, so that it becomes their but you've got that this is what sales thinks and they kind of stress test it as well and then they're aligned and then you provide the deck and then it's rolled out you know I think sales does need to be involved I always get them in because they're always pitching in all these different ways, they've actually done tons of messaging testing. If you talk to salespeople, they don't know it, but they yeah, are. yeah. they're constantly messaging <laughs> testing. And so I'm like, how do you pitch it? What resonates? What falls flat all the time? What is the number one thing people come to you about? And I ask those questions and they, they give me, they're like just an amazing kind of wealth of knowledge. And they keep you honest and they keep you grounded in, hey, this is like what's really happening on the ground with our prospects. And so I always have head of sales involved in it. And I often interview salespeople as well just to get that extra input. And that really helps. Then they're like, give me the deck. Where's the deck? Right. Because because they're like, yeah, we agree. I remember early days, uh, one of my first big clients I worked with, it was a sales-led organization. And so they had all their sales heads in the call. And I remember when I presented the messaging, the head of sales was like, hold on, I need to say it out loud. And he read it all out loud. And he's like, awesome. He's like, I would not say yes to anything that I wouldn't feel comfortable actually saying out loud in conversation. And so for him, that's what it needed to be. It's like, this has to be something that sounds normal and that we want to say, or else we're not going to say it. So I don't know if it's too late, but I would recommend maybe getting the sales, some sales folks together and getting them up to speed on the journey and then asking, you know, getting them involved because at the end of the day, everyone wants to be seen, heard, valued. They just, they, they just want to be a part of it. And if there's any way to kind of bring them in and make it feel more inclusive, then I think naturally more people are going to want to use it. I love that. Now you messaged, or sorry, you mentioned, uh, sorry, we're saying, I know a lot of messaging going around. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, so you mentioned, uh, testing uh -huh. and this is not some Ron Popeil set it and forget it type <laughs> activity. Uh, so you constantly need to be, you know, looking at it and adjusting and kind of refining over time. So how does that typically work, you know, when you're working with your, your clients? Like, is this something that is a, you know, a quarterly thing twice a year, once a year, hopefully not, you know, weekly or monthly? Yeah, no. So um, typically when I, you know, high growth companies, I'm saying to them, you know, this is something that needs to help you sell more for the next 12 months for sure. Right? It's like a lot of people want to get to that next stage. So I'm thinking 12 months and then maybe you're going to want to look at it again based on where you're at. So that's typically what I think about 12 months. So I've worked with people. Yeah, 
every kind of every year, right? I come in, refresh. Um, in terms of testing, when we create, the messaging comes from research, which gives people a lot of confidence. But then as soon as clients get the messaging, they start testing it in terms of conversations, right? So they'll start sharing it in conversations with prospects. Maybe they'll talk to some existing customers. Salespeople will start just loosely doing it in conversation. So we go for a very anecdotal uh, approach. I love that. Yeah, anecdotal, because for me, I think people just want a bit of confidence to go forward with it so that you can go forward with it in a really strong way for the next six, 12 months and really give it a go and then see how, you know, how has that worked for us? How is it going? Um, so, yeah, we do a very kind of loose anecdotal um, style of message testing. I think it was in your newsletter. It's one of the few newsletters that I actually subscribe to and actually <laughs> read when I have no, time. No, thank it's you. Good. Uh, and I'm not just buttering you up, but I think it was one of the, the recent ones where you were talking about how to swap out uh, big ah! words for little words in your writing. Yes, this is one of my uh, favorites. That's like that spoke to me so, uh, so much. And I think I posted a while back like buzzwords that we all as B2B marketers need to leave out of our <laughs> marketing at the end of the day. But like, how do you work with, um, you know, your clients who oftentimes wanted to say fancy things that aren't, you know, everyday language or, you know, written using plain English and really convince them that, hey, instead of using alternatively, you can use or, or instead of saying utilize, you can use use. Like, how does that go down? <laughs> so the good news for, for the fact that I've been on LinkedIn, that I'm hammering kind of my my points of view nonstop on LinkedIn. The good news for that is that the people who come to work with me are totally on board and they want the punchy thing. So I don't even have to explain mm -hmm. anymore. Gotcha. But a lot of people come to me and product marketers say like, hey, how do I convince my leadership? Because they're obsessed with jargon. Like, how do I convince people? So I get that question a lot. So a there's a couple ways, but I think the biggest reason why I hate the buzzwords and the jargon is it makes your message less accessible. It makes it more exclusive. It makes it harder for people. It excludes people from the party and that's excluding customers and that's making people feel dumb. And that's, I think, a really great reason to not use it, that it just kind of makes it more exclusive. It's harder for people to understand. On a very mechanical level, it is harder for people to ingest long word after long word after long word. It doesn't mean that they're dumb and they don't know what those big words mean. It means that we get fatigued by reading too many in the string of the same parag uh, paragraph or sentence. It's just tiring um, and it's harder. So people just, they don't have the energy for that online. So they're not going to read it. You know, and, and finally, I think in this day and age, um, it doesn't make you look like a modern in touch company. I just think that the nineties the have gone, you know, <laughs> you're not like a big tech company and in, in totally in control and people have to kind of bend to you. There's competition. Mm -hmm. The world's getting more personal. You want to look like you're hip and with it and using a lot of those words just do not make you look that way. We did a, uh, it was a training a couple months ago with our sales team. And I had this idea of taking what our you know perceived competitors are and looking at the, really just the, the homepage copy 
and I took the hero section, I took the uh, second and third sections, and I put them each on slides. What I did was I uh, swapped out the company name and just put placeholder text. It was like company one, mm -hmm. company two, whatever. And I showed them, try to guess who these com competitors are because they were all using the same lengthy buzzwords. They sounded so similar and it was really difficult to even one, understand what they were saying or two, how they were different. And not only did most of the people in the room not get any of them, but our, I don't even know how to describe him. His name's Logan Naveau. He's like, if he were to get hit by a car tomorrow at Metadata, we'd be in serious trouble. Uh, he's one of the longest tenured employees. He knows everything, everything about the space. He even, he even could not nail all of them. So I was like, if he can't do that, then that just shows how convoluted this is. So I know you're a big believer in using simple conversational, you know, everyday language, but, uh, it's amazing like how B2B marketing has gotten to this point where people are just, you know, hammering buzzword after buzzword. And I think it's, it's because differentiation is so hard. I think, I think people are good people in general. We're not all trying to look like pompous, like techies. Um, but I think, Ugh. yeah, I, but that's what comes across. And I think it's people trying to differentiate. It's hard. And so they think, okay, but we're more flexible or like robust or we want to make it sound fancy. You want to get that secret sauce. And so people are just piling adjectives. So that's, that's another thing that I talk about that I think is really dangerous. And everyone does when they put like three adjectives in front of like a feature or a capability, it's like fast, flexible, like on demand platform, you know, and it's like clean, fresh, accurate data. Uh, it's, and I get why people are doing it because they want to convey how great it is and not so many words, but that it just people are the reader is not left with a lasting impression so that's that's another thing that it just isn't working so i think people are just trying to differentiate and then people are looking at their competitors they go well they're saying that so we should say that and there's a lot of copying and and then there's the few brands that are truly get it that are inspired they just have great simple messaging that just works and you know we need more of that yeah. And I think, you know, having gone through this really for the first time at Metadata, I have such an appreciation now for one, the the people who are really good at, at doing that type of work, but really the the companies that are willing to take the time and, and put the effort in to get there because saying something that's really clear in as few words as possible is really hard. It is. And uh, I think like I didn't truly know until I went through that at Metadata. Yeah. And and getting everyone to agree on those few words is also really hard. <laughs> yeah, that might be. Harder, yeah, that's probably actually. harder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, amazing. We are coming up on time. Uh, I always love talking to you, Emma. Usually some good laughs and I got schooled here on this. So this was amazing. Uh, we're going to have you at Demand yeah. uh, in a couple of weeks from now. So we're excited for that. And then uh, I think you've got something else that's a little exciting that you're uh, releasing uh, right now too, right? Yes. So you mentioned that I just schooled you. Well, Punchy's officially schooling <laughs> B2B marketers. We are launching uh, messaging training. That was not planned. No, by the it way. wasn't. <laughs> no, but it was just a perfect segue. So I had to use it. Yeah, we are. Um, we're teaching, you know, marketers how to do punchy messaging, which is super clear, simple messaging, whether it's for your company, your platform, new feature, a persona, this approach will work. It's super simple, no fluff, just like me. Um, I just, I know it's not easy. I've been doing this for years just with high growth B2B tech companies. 
And I found a great way to do it. And I'm super excited to teach teams how to do it so they can bring it in-house and keep kind of flexing that messaging muscle. I love that. And it, again, makes me feel a little bit better that you still find some of this stuff hard after doing it for a it's while. Hard. So, uh, it's hard. Not easy. It's a little reassuring. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you again, Emma. It was a blast talking with you and, and learning from you. I'm, I'm really excited about this episode just because of how timely it is and something that a lot of B2B marketers are you know, struggling with and, and working through right now. So this should be pretty good. Always a blast to chat with you, Mark. I love it. Thanks for having me. Amazing. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next week on Demand Gen U. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.